0: Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays.
1: Mark chapter 2. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this.
0: Janet, thank you very much indeed. Let me encourage you to keep your uh, Bibles open uh, in front of you and uh, let me add my own welcome to that of uh, Gareth. I think you've done brilliantly even to be here. I think there's some mums and dads just uh, sort of arriving back. Uh, if you're out in the corridor, do feel you can come in. Uh, if there's anybody uh, waiting to come in now, please do. Uh, very good to see you. Uh, let's pray uh, together now as we look at the Bible. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that's uh, the Bible is your word to us, you speaking to us, not just in the past, but in the present. And we pray as we look at your word now this morning, um, that you would speak to us in the very depth of our being, in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I don't know whether this is just a bloke thing, I know us blokes are very proud, and uh, we don't really like people telling us, uh, you know, what to do. We don't like people telling us um, when... They think they know better than us, you know, that kind of thing. Do you know that thing? I don't know whether women are like that at all. I'm sure you're not anywhere near as bad as us blokes. I've got to tell you, I find it really hard when people tell me what I need, when I think I already know what I need, and then they tell me that I need something else, and particularly when I'm shopping. Now, I don't care much for shopping, um, I don't care much for shopping at the best of times but I, I, and I have to admit that uh, when I go shopping I'm already pretty grumpy before I've even arrived at the shops. But what I don't like is when I try to get an item that I want and the shop assistant then tells me that what I really want is another model, a different specification, a different make. And then they proceed to tell me all the benefits of the product that they're suggesting over the one I intended to buy And just as I'm beginning to become persuaded that maybe that is a better product, they then tell me that it costs more, a lot more, than the one I'd gone in to buy. Does that happen to you? I'm so irritated by that. And being suspicious and grumpy, I I, I usually just, um, out of spite, buy the one I went in to go and get anyway. I don't like it when someone tells me what I need when I think I know what I need. Now that's a long way of saying this morning we're going to meet a group of guys who thought they knew exactly what they needed for their friend and then someone else told them what they really needed was something quite different. We meet uh, these guys first in Mark chapter 2 and verse 3. We don't know their names. Mark just calls them some men. They have a friend who's paralyzed and in verse 3 we meet them carrying their friend on a stretcher and we see they're taking him to Jesus now it's obvious why they took their friend to jesus last week in chapter 1 verse 34 we saw that jesus healed many people so it seemed pretty obvious to them that jesus really could sort out their friend's paralysis that's what he needed he needed his legs to walk again Uh, it's why many people turn to jesus i I know it may be the same for you Uh, you you go to jesus because uh, you need something it may not be a physical need it could be anything unemployment dissatisfaction with the world broken relationships anything now I don't know what makes you go to Jesus but it's clear what these men wanted from Jesus they wanted him to heal their friend he'd already done it many times before um, so why wouldn't he do it again that's exactly what they thought but it's precisely because Jesus has done it many times before that things became complicated for these men. You see, Jesus had healed many people, and so, verse one, Jesus turned up at this town called Capernaum, and verse two, so many people gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Uh, news had spread about Jesus, about what he'd done. He turned up in this town, everybody gathered, everyone came to see him. He was in this little room, or maybe a large room, I don't know, but the place was packed. And that was the problem for these men. They'd taken their friend to go and see Jesus, but they couldn't get them, this friend, to Jesus. But these men were so convinced that Jesus could heal their friend, verse four. Since they couldn't get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat, the paralyzed man was lying on. These were determined blokes, the sort who wouldn't take no for an answer. They were resourceful and daring, Now, if ever you've been to the Middle East, you'll know that uh, many houses have flat roofs with steps outside the house leading up to the roof. So unable to get their friend to Jesus, the four men carried him onto the roof and then started to dig a hole in the roof. Picture the scene inside the house. Jesus teaching a capacity crowd, so many more than here. Uh, You know, not, not an inch to spare. The crowd hanging on his every word when suddenly a scratching, a, a noise from above and then banging and then bits of roof falling in. Suddenly all eyes are on the ceiling, the hole in the roof getting bigger and bigger and light beginning to stream in when suddenly a paralyzed man is descending out of the sky. It's like something out of a Steven Spielberg movie. And as he was lowered down, I imagine people shuffling back, leaving room for the the stretcher and the man being lowered to a place at Jesus' feet after the initial gasps from the crowd there was a hush in the room all eyes on jesus now what would he do what would he say you could hear a pin drop well jesus looked down at the paralyzed man the man looked up at jesus and verse five when jesus saw their faith he said to the paralytic son your sins are forgiven what your sins are forgiven what an extraordinary thing to say It's clear what this man needed. He needed his legs to be healed. And here's Jesus talking about sins. You can imagine the paralyzed man's disappointment. I always imagine him thinking, never mind my sins, what about my pins? (laughs) You've missed the point, Jesus. Or had he? Could this be one of those moments when Jesus knew better? That he knew better than the paralyzed man what he really needed? Jesus knew something that that the man doesn't know, that he had an even bigger problem than his paralysis. Now, please, as I say that, I'm not in any way undermining how serious this man's paralysis was. It is a terrible thing to not be able to walk. I've seen it in my own family. I remember getting a call from my mum telling me that my cousin had suffered an injury in a rugby match. And then just hours later, I was there sitting Uh, next to his hospital bed in London where my cousin had been taken by air ambulance. So cut a long and agonising story short, his injuries were permanent, are permanent, and for the past 25 years he's been confined to a wheelchair. A few seconds on a rugby field completely changed his life. Paralysis is a terrible thing. And you may well be here suffering well something physical or emotional as well you may have to cope with something in life that is completely overwhelming so i'm not in any way undermining the seriousness of your situation or the situation of this paralyzed man but rather asking the question is it possible that we have an even bigger problem could it be that Jesus is saying to the man, I understand your problems, I, I, I've seen your suffering, I'm gonna to get to that in a moment, but please realise that the main problem is in, a, in a person's life is their sin. See, when the Bible talks about sin, it's not just referring to the bad things we do, it's not just lying or lust, it's living without God. Living my own life, my own way, it's uh, living in God's world, but largely without reference to God. And Jesus is saying that is a real problem. Indeed, he's saying it is our biggest problem. Here Jesus is actually asking the man to look much deeper into his life than he ever has before. Uh, Tim Keller, in this excellent book uh, called King's Cross, uh, explains the situation like this. Everyone who is paralyzed naturally wants with every fiber of his being to walk but surely this man would have been resting all his hopes in the possibility of walking again in his heart he's almost surely saying if only i could walk again then i would be set for life i'd never be unhappy i'd never complain if only i could walk then everything would be right and jesus is saying you're mistaken that may sound harsh but it's profoundly true jesus says when i heal your body if that's all i do you'll feel you, you, you'll never be ha- unhappy again. But wait two months, four months. The euphoria won't last. The roots of discontent of the human heart go deep. Now, I find that extremely helpful from Tim Keller because I know that's true in my life. When things have been hard, and I may never have actually said this, but still deep down, I've actually thought this. I've longed for things to be sorted believing that if they were then life would be different I'd be content and happy all the time if only that thing was sorted now we think it when we're ill but we also think it when we're unhappy in our job or in our marriage or discontent with where we live or how big our house is or when we're frustrated by people in our lives which is why we're so often chasing after something else Believing that a different career or a promotion or, or a lottery win or a new love in our lives or a decent holiday or early retirement or a new hobby or well, whatever it is, all the time believing that something will put everything right, but it never does. It might last a while, but before long, we all have the same struggles. And that's because we're not going deep enough. Now, over these last weeks in Mark chapter one, we've discovered that Jesus has come to bring something that is much deeper and much bigger. In chapter one, verse 15, he spoke of the kingdom of God. When he spoke of that, he wasn't talking about patching up this world, but he was thinking of a completely new world order. He's talking, when he speaks of the kingdom of God, of the kind of world we all long for at some point in our lives. It's the kind of world I long for when I watch the news and see the appalling acts of terrorism that have devastated so many lives. He's talking when he speaks of the kingdom of God of the sort of world that I want when I see appeals from aid agencies asking for a few pounds a month to alleviate the dreadful poverty that sees children having to drink dirty water. It's the kind of world I long for when I take funerals and see people sitting in front of me with their hearts breaking. And it's the kind of world I long for when sometimes the stress and pressure of my own life is just too much. Now look, I know I am wonderfully blessed and so very comfortable. I know that I have so much to give thanks to God for and I do often give thanks to God for those things. But sometimes it all feels too much. And then I long for a different world. But that world that we long for isn't gonna come through any amount of Social or political action or environmental campaigning or wealth creation or health education or science, scientific breakthroughs or, or anything. And by the way, I'm not knocking any of those things. It's just that none of them can completely change the very fabric of this world. None of them can eradicate wickedness and sickness and death. But Jesus came to deal with and tell us of a world where all that can be dealt with a completely new world order he called it the kingdom of god it's what he will deliver at the end of time when he returns to wrap up history as we know it and that you see is why he speaks of sin here because it is our sin that will keep us out of that world that world that we dream of that world that is the longing of our hearts that world that actually we were made for But you see, if we've ignored God all our lives, or largely have, if he's played no part in our lives, or very little, why do we think we're gonna be part of his kingdom when it comes? Do you see, Jesus is going deeper here. He's telling this man what he really needs. He went to Jesus thinking he knew what he needed in his life to make everything well. Jesus says, no, you need something bigger and deeper. Our deepest need is the forgiveness of our sin, so that we can be part of the kingdom of God, that world that we all want and all long for. And so, verse five, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic son, your sins are forgiven. Now look, this is a remarkable moment in Mark's gospel. If the heart of sin is against God, then please see how astonishing these words are. Look with me at verse six. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming who can forgive sins but God alone. See the teachers of the law the religious establishment are outraged at what Jesus has just said to this man. They don't have a problem incidentally with Jesus calling this man a sinner. They knew everyone was a sinner. No their indignation came from hearing Jesus forgive the man's sin. Who does Jesus think he is? If sin is against God, then only God can forgive sin. So who does Jesus think he is? Well, in short, he thinks he's God. And the religious leaders got that, which is why they say in verse seven, he's blaspheming. Which, of course, raises the question for us, is Jesus a blasphemer? No better than the rest of us. In fact, a darn sight worse than the rest of us, strutting around making trumped up claims about being God. Or is he actually God? God. Meaning that he can actually meet our deepest need and bring us forgiveness and one day bring us into his kingdom. Well, the very next thing we read begins to answer that. Look at verse eight. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. Isn't that remarkable? He knew in his spirit what they were thinking. You look back to verse six and seven and you realize they haven't uttered a word it's just what they were thinking and jesus knew it who is this who knows my every thought well the religious leaders hadn't got it so jesus gave them a theology exam on his identity verse eight immediately jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts and he said to them why are you thinking these things which is easier to say to the paralytic your sins are forgiven or to say get up take your mat and walk I have always been hopeless, hopeless at exams. I have failed more than I've passed. So what a relief to see this exam. This is a one-question exam, and it's a multiple-choice question to boot. Now, even I can have a go at this one. And there's only two answers, so I've got a 50-50 chance of getting it right. So let's sit the exam, shall we, which is easier, to say to someone, your sins are forgiven, or to say to a paralysed man, get up and walk. Well, it's easier, it's obvious when we think about it. Imagine the situation this morning. I could easily say to you, your sins are forgiven because you would never know whether they were or not. Because there's no way of checking. Because I can't see sins forgiven. I'm looking, but I don't know whether they are or not. But if there was a paralyzed man in front of me, indeed, if my cousin was here in his wheelchair or laid out in front of me, and I said, get up and walk, you'd soon know whether I was genuine or not by whether he moved. See, it's easy to say your sins are forgiven as Jesus did. And so, verse 10 but that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. And he got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying we've never seen anything like this. Well, I bet they hadn't. See the point, Jesus healed the man to prove that he had the right to forgive sins. But what an amazing miracle this was. Who knows how long this man had been paralysed? Might have been months, might have been all his life. But ask any physio in the congregation, and we have a few, ask any physio about legs that have been injured and not walked on for a while, and they'll tell you that even when the injury is better, it takes some months before you can walk properly again. But not for this man. All his muscles are working perfectly, instantly, no muscle wastage. Instantly, he's up and out of there. What a miracle. And you see the point, Jesus did this miracle to prove who he is, to show that he is God and therefore that he can forgive sins and that he can deliver on bringing the kingdom of God, a new world where all sickness and illness and death is done away with. But before we begin to draw to a close, let me go back again to that question in verse nine. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say to a paralytic, get up and walk? Well, we've already seen it's easier to say one than the other. But it's actually a deeply profound question because it has more than one answer. You see, even for God to forgive sin is not an easy thing. It simply wouldn't be right for God to just say, you're forgiven, to sweep all our wrongs under the carpet, to pretend that they don't matter. Sin does matter and we know that. People I talk to instinctively know that so people don't like the idea of of really wicked people just going to heaven, of just being forgiven, of it not mattering. Of course it matters. Wickedness is bad, sin is bad. You can't just say you're forgiven. God can't say you're forgiven. For Jesus to forgive sin, he had to go to the cross which is what we think of as we take bread and wine, where he, had to, where he paid the price for sin, took the punishment for sin, where he died in our place. And that wasn't easy. It was agony for Jesus. Hours before he died, he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, and it comes later in Mark's Gospel. He prayed these words, Father, if it is possible, take this from me. Dying the most cruel death and being separated from his father to bring us forgiveness wasn't easy for him. But that's how much he loves you. He loves you enough to die for you so you can be forgiven and so that you can one day enter into his kingdom. From time to time here at Christchurch Forward, we like to get members of the church family to tell us about how God has been working in their lives. It's always a highlight to hear their stories. Just imagine if we could do that this morning not with someone from this church family but with this paralyzed man imagine if we could ask the angels in heaven to let this man come and be with us this morning and and tell us his memories of that incredible day i wonder what he'd say i think it would go something like this i might say to him well thank you for joining us today especially on such a cold morning and we've read your story this morning and, and seen that two amazing things happened to you that day first jesus forgave your sin and and then jesus healed your legs uh, tell us as you look back on that day, what was the most important thing that happened to you that day? And I think he'd reply something like this. Oh, it's wonderful to be with you here in Fulwood this morning. Thank you for having me. Oh yes, I remember that day well. My friends persuaded me that I should go and see Jesus. We'd all heard about all the things he was doing, but I was kind of nervous and unsure whether he might heal me or not. I was in two minds, but my friends were insistent. They carried me to the place where Jesus was preaching, When we got there and the crowds were so dense, all my hopes of getting to see Jesus seemed to have gone. But my friends wouldn't take no for an answer. They're good friends, determined characters. They've done some crazy things in their time. But I couldn't believe it when they took me onto the roof and then started to dig a hole through the roof. I nearly died of embarrassment when they lowered me down through the roof. And then after all that effort, it all seemed a total waste of time when Jesus looked at me and said, son, your sins are forgiven. At that point, my heart sank. I thought to myself you're supposed to be a prophet you should know I've come to have my legs healed what's all this about sins being forgiven next there was a discussion between Jesus and the religious leaders and then Jesus said something which was amazing he said get up take your mat and walk and as he spoke I felt all the power surging back into my legs instantly I jumped up and ran out of the place no one could believe it I certainly couldn't but it was true I could walk What a difference it made to my life. For the next 40 years, I lived a normal life. I got a job, got married, had a wonderful family, and not a day went by when I wasn't profoundly grateful to Jesus that he'd healed my legs that day. Oh, you know, there were problems in life, but it was so much better. But now, well, now I've been with Jesus for 2,000 years in heaven, and it's wonderful. Being in his kingdom, is everything. It's amazing. It is to be alive. I feel more alive now than I ever did on earth. It is to be happy, to be deeply happy and content and peaceful more than I ever felt when I was on earth. And that indeed makes all my years on earth pale into insignificance. Now I know the most important thing that Jesus did for me on that day was forgive my sin. And then I might say to him, well, thank you very much for sharing that story with us this morning. It's been very good of you to come to forward. Now for numbers of us here, indeed for many of us, because I, I know uh, most of us here, uh, you already know all this. This is not new news for you. Well, let me say to you, do you see how it should change our priorities if we get this clear? If this is right, and I'm taking it that Jesus is right, that forgiveness is our biggest need, is everyone's biggest need, then do you see it should change the way we Use our time and our resources and our money. We surely, when we get this, should want everyone to know that they can have their sin forgiven. For everyone to know that they can also be part of this wonderful kingdom of God that is to come forever. Doesn't that change the way we're going to live? For some here, this might be new to you, or newish, or there's a new clarity that you've never quite seen before as we've looked at this remarkable story. And if that's you, then um, I'd love to uh, give you a copy of this little booklet. It's called The Real Jesus. And uh, through it, it just says some more of uh, the sorts of things that Jesus came to do. And right at the end, how you can enter into God's kingdom, how you can become part of that, have your sin forgiven and start again with him. And if you'd like that, I'll have those uh, on the door. Just grab one from me uh, if you'd like to.